scriptures and turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2, page 1015 if you're using a red Bible. I'm not sure if it's true for you, but it was for me. I have always enjoyed animated movies. I, I did as a kid. And I'm not afraid to say I still do as an adult. I liked Toy Story, Incredibles, The Crazy Minions, Emperor's New Groove, older one, but I loved so many one lines from that. Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., Tangled. And last but not least, Lion King. I like Lion King. And I like it mainly because... Timon and Puma are crazy. They are so funny in that. But there's a scene in that Lion King animated movie. It's very pivotal. Um, After Mufasa, the ultimate king lion, dies, Simba runs away, his son. And eventually Rafiki uh, finds him and leads him one night to this little watering hole. And you see the the weeds get pulled back, and he pulls through there, and there's this little, little water sitting there, and he, Rafiki says, look in there and tell me what you see. And he looks at the water, and he says, oh, it's just, I see myself. And, he says, and then he puts his little staff in there and moves in the water, and he says, no, look again. And this time he sees himself, but he sees his father in him. And it's interesting, and at that point where he sees his dad, his dad appears in a vision of him, you know, in the sky, and he starts talking to him. And the one line that he came to tell his son was repeated over and over again. And here's what he says to Simba. He says, remember who you are. When his son wants him to stay, don't leave him. He needs him. He kept saying, he sees all these, but his dad doesn't say, he just repeats it. Remember who you are. And as his son is pleading with him, he begins to fade away, but he keeps whispering. It's quiet, more quiet. It's really moving, actually. Remember who you are. Why did Mufasa come and say, he could have said so many things to his son. Why that one thing? Remember who you are. You know why? Because Mufasa got this principle. Who you are shapes what you do. Let me say it again. Who you are shapes what you do. See, Mufasa got that principle, but so did the apostle Peter. He understood that who you are shapes what you do. And all through 1 Peter, he keeps reminding the people of God that are his readers about their identity. He just does it constantly through the whole thing. Verse 1 of chapter 1, he starts with it. He calls them elect exiles. Chapter 1, verse 14, he calls them obedient children. Chapter 2, verse 5, living stones, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Verse 9, our text, you are... Here's your identity statement. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people of his own. You are sojourners, verse 11. You are exiles. And even later at the end of the book, in chapter 4 and verse 16, he says you're Christians. But over and over and over, here's what Peter does. He keeps whispering to them, this is who you are. Remember who you are. 
Why is it so important, Pastor Walker? Why is it so important that we get this principle? Why is it so important that we connect our identity with our activity? For Simba, it was important for this way. You know why? Because he was running from his identity. He knew that if he really lived out who he was, he'd have to go back and it wouldn't be easy and he'd have to be different and he'd have to have a lot of conflict. He needed to go back, but he didn't want to. See, but when he finally recognizes, oh, this is who I am, he said the winds are changing and he had to go back and it was rough, but he knew that's what he had to do. Why? Because when he got his identity right, he got his activity right. See, for us as Christians, you see, this morning, if we're going to be on mission with God, we first have to embrace who we are. We have to come to the scriptures and say, what does God say? How has he designed me? What is the identity that he has for me? Because only then can I truly live out the responsibility every day that he's given me to live on mission with him. So let's not forget this morning, who you are shapes what you do. 1 Peter 2, chapter 9, verse, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12, is all about that connection. It's about telling you what your missional identity is, and as a result, what your missional activity should be. So we're going to look at them one at a time, just both of them this morning briefly. What is our missionary identity? Ask yourself who you are this morning. Missions, can I say it to you this morning? Missions is not even first what we do. I know when you think of missions, you think of somebody going across the seas, going somewhere else. You think of what they do and telling the gospel to people and preaching, and you think of all those things. But can I tell you this morning, listen, missions is not first what we do. It's who we are. See, our God is a missionary God. That's who he is. And because of who he is, that impacts and changes who we are. We are a missionary people, not because he came here only, but because that's what he is. See, our God is a missionary God, and he has a missionary people, and that's us. But that isn't the problem, is it? The problem is being who you are, where you are. See, 1 Peter ends in chapter 5 and verse 13. Peter says, And she who is in Babylon, also chosen with you, greets you. See, he was writing from Rome at that time. And Rome was the capital of the known world that had been conquered. And it was the empire of secularism and humanism and everything else the world had to offer. And Peter says, I write from here. And all the people that he's writing to, read it for yourself in the first verse, they they are dispersed all over the Roman Babylonian empire, metaphorically, of the day. And that's the hard part about it. That's what 1 Peter does for us. That's why it's such a crucial book for us to understand in the day in which we live. You and I live in a 21st century Babylon. We live in a place where God is not supreme. He has been marginalized at best, pushed to the periphery. He is not what everybody lives for and thinks about and worships. Not at all. And that's why he begins with this identity. You are elect exiles. You know what an exile is? The dictionary definition is this. A state or period of a forced absence from one's home. Have we not seen that played out for us? 
on TV for the last number of months since Russia invaded Ukraine. I mean, since they've, did you know, since the war started in Ukraine, there are 12 million exiles. They have been forced out of their home. Now, out of that 12 million Ukrainians, five of them are exiles, but they're exiled in their own country. They had to leave their own town for safety's sake, and everything that they know was destroyed. And they've tried to go to other towns to live. But seven million of them have been displaced, and they're dispersed into other countries. But Ukrainians, watch them on the news. They tell thousands upon thousands of exile stories of what it's like to live under the Russian oppression. You see, in 1 Peter, they lived under Rome. They lived under Babylon. We have the same thing in, in the day in which we live. We are exiles even though we live in our own country. Thousands and thousands of people have given testimonies over time about how, as a Christian, do you live on mission with God when you live in the Babylon of America? Who you are, that's where we have to start this morning. That's how you do missions in Babylon. You have to embrace and maintain who you are, your identity. If you read the book Daniel, and you'll know that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the way, they're Babylonian names. They lived in Babylon, and they lived for God in Babylon. And you know what the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change about them? Their name. He wanted to give them new names. He wanted to give them a different education. Why? Because he wanted to change them down at the foundation of who they were. He wanted to give them not just different names. He wanted to give them names that had to do with the Babylonian gods. Why? Because he wanted to change their identity. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar knew. If I can change who you are, I will change, Daniel and your friends, what you do. And their whole time there, it was a fight to embrace and maintain their identity. And Daniel and his friends only could do that when they came to this conclusion and lived it. We don't belong here. We don't belong here. We don't fit in. That's what Peter is saying to his first century readers and to us in the 21st century. In America, listen, as Christians, we don't belong here. This is not our home. We don't fit. When I was a little kid, and maybe I think they still show them really early on in in December or even late Thanksgiving. You remember all the Christmas shows that came on and the claymations? You remember the claymations? I think there was Frosty and there was Rudolph and... Santa and all those other ones. They have, I think they might still show them, but the one I loved the most was Rudolph. You remember Rudolph and, I don't know, a couple other ones, Cornelius or whatever, something. Anybody remember this? Am I just the only one who watched this? But they came to the place called the Island of the Misfit Toys. Remember that? And every toy that was on the island was there because they didn't fit. There was something not quite the same with those toys as all the other toys in the world. And there was a train. It had square wheels. Remember that? The elephant that was normal except it had gigantic pink polka dots all over its body. There was the doll that was supposed to make kids happy, but the doll was always crying. Always. There was a bird that went around and swam in the fish bowl. And then there was my favorite. There was the Jack in the Box whose name was Charlie. (laughs) Uh, And he even says, 
who wants a Charlie in the box? Of course, the answer is no one, right? They were all different. See, they didn't want to be different because they know like everybody else that when you're different, you won't be as accepted as easily. People will see you for what you're not. And they're going to pick up on the fact that you're different than everybody else. See, here's what Peter says. You were once, do you see it in verses 9 and 10? You were once, and then he says this, but now. See the structure? Once you were this, but now you're this. See, you used to belong. You used to fit in before you became a Christian, but now you don't. You don't fit anymore. You're on the island of misfit people. See, and we don't want that. See, we're supposed to be Jesus different. In the text, if you read the whole context, Jesus was chosen, they're chosen. They're living stones because he is the living stone. He was rejected, they are rejected. See, when you take on his identity, it impacts your identity. But our problem is, is that we're not real keen on that. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be rejected. We desire, can I say this, we're desperate for acceptance. We don't want to be the ones, can I say it, that have the square wheels. We don't want to be the cultural polka-dotted elephant. We don't want to be the bird who swims in a fish pond. We don't want to be, of all things, the Charlie in the box. We don't want any of that. May I put it in modern terms? We don't want to be the only one who doesn't have stories to tell about how you partied on the weekend. We don't want to be, a, we don't want to be the one who graduates high school and is still a virgin. We don't want that. We don't want to be the ones when we get around with our friends and show them how we've disrespected our parents and their authority all week. We don't want to be the ones who are the only ones who can't say that we did that. We don't want to be the ones who... Uh, Everyone dresses like this. Everyone dresses immodestly. And so I, I got to do that. Everyone else, it's expected. Everyone at school uses foul language. And if I don't cuss and if I don't say this and I don't tell these kind of jokes, see, we don't want that. We don't, because then we'll have square wheels. We're the ones who will be the Charlie in the box and we don't want it. What we really want, if we would say it this way, but we don't, what we really want is to have Jesus's identity, but not have it impact ours. We want to be called Christian, but we don't like all the ramifications of it. We like who he is as long as it does not affect daily who I am. And our missions problem is this, very little missions activity, perhaps because very little mission identity. Because every day we don't know who we are. So when we go to our jobs and we go to our work, we see that as secular. And then when I come to church, yeah, then I'll tag on the identity. But when I'm everywhere else, see, so that's not how I live my life. And we don't remember who we are. Who we are. Missions flows out of who we are. I know you're familiar with Matthew 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, verses 13 through 16, Jesus says, and we all know this famous verse, let your light so shine before men and they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But did you understand that the three verses before it, before the activity verse are identity verses? Here's what he tells them in verse 13. You are, hear the identity statement? You are the salt of the earth. 
Verse 14, second statement. You are the light of the world. Now, he, here's what he's telling you. You get it? Who you are, salt and light, will determine if you let your light shine. If you're going to make a difference, you will have to be different. And we don't want anything to do with it. And our teens don't want anything to do with it because we don't. And mission C, it's first about being before it's about doing. As elect exiles, as doing missions in Babylon, there are two great temptations. The first one is cultural resonance. And that is what I call attachment. We would want to blur the differences in what we believe and how we behave. And we do this by telling ourselves that we have to be like the world to reach them. Although in 1 Peter 4, Peter says, don't think it's strange that they think it's strange that you don't do all these things with them, but we do. And we think we have to be like them to reach them. And so I know of churches, watch them on the internet, who play secular rock music as people enter their worship services so that they'll feel at home. Worship music that is basically when you walk in, other than the Christian words, you might think you're at a secular concert. And so we talk like them and dress like them and have their values and their morals and their priorities. All the while, Peter says to them in verse 11 and 12, Beloved, I urge you, I beg you. Here's what he says. Live like sojourners. Live like exiles. What would that mean? Abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against the soul. Keep your conduct good, he says. Here's what he's saying. You get it? Let me boil it down to you. Live differently than everyone else around you. They're all controlled by their passions and pleasures and sexuality and all the things that they find to make up their identity. You are not them. You don't live like them, talk like them, act like them. Your conduct, your behavior is different. But the temptation is cultural resonance, to be just like them, attachment, the other one is the opposite extreme, and we do that in our circles too. That's cultural dissonance, detachment. We understand the world has got a lot of awful things and sinful things in it, so we just get away from it altogether. And we, we're in these walls right here, and we think that we have a holy huddle right here every Sunday, and we don't need to be concerned about being out there anywhere. And so we withdraw from our culture, and it's the old problem, the tension of in the world, but not of the world. But people detach from it. But here's what Peter says. See, living on mission in Babylon is not either one. It's not just connecting or just disconnecting. It's both. It's both. So we need to be coaches of the teams that our kids are on in our community, so we need to know our neighbors by name. And so when they're in need, we help them. We need to hang out with our coworkers with discernment so that they can know what it's like for someone to be in the same position they are, but to look at life completely different. Can I tell you this? Listen, there is no impact without contact. If you're not with your neighbors, if you're not with your coworkers, if you're not hanging out with lost people or knowing them, there can't be a difference. Do you see what the verse says? That they may see your good works. 
If they're not with you, they can't see you. They can't see how you respond to the trials and the difficulties in life. See, our mission needs to be both visible and verbal. Peter at one point is going to say in chapter 3, if you're a woman and you're married and your husband's lost, you can win them without a word. Without a word, you can do it by living your kind. He's not just saying, hey, just show them how to live and never say anything, because he talks about saying things in our passage and other ones. Here's what he's saying. You live your life and let your life back up your lips. And I can tell you this, the mission of Christ often suffers because that one truth is not there. Our lives do not back up what we say we preach. So our mission is first a mission of being, and then, and then it is a mission of doing. It is both show and tell. When I was a kid, they had that at school, in that one-room schoolhouse that I went to. That was a joke. But show and tell, they had that back in the day. So I, I was told, tomorrow you're doing show and tell. So I brought my whole box of matchbox cars, and I opened up the little case, and I said, this is my case, and this is my matchbox car, and I showed everybody what they looked like. And I showed all the different cars and the makes and the trucks I had. And then I got to tell them about them. Because that's what show and tell does. It's not just show and it's not just tell. It's show and tell, Peter says. In order for that to take place in missions, you have to remember who you are. Because missional activity flows out of missional identity. And that is number two in our text. Can you look at verses 9 and 12 as we close? The first one was missional identity. This is missional activity. Who you are compels and determines what you do. Verse 9 reads in the text, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may... Here's why. Here's the purpose. Why do you live different? Why do you have this different identity? Because there's a purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Here's the purpose that we live holy. Here's the purpose why as a church we want to do this and why we have standards and why we know there's right and wrong. Because it gives us a platform for proclamation. It's the most common word in the Greek New Testament for preaching. Here's Peter says, your message, the words you speak have to be backed up by the walk that you have. And in your speech, here's what you're going to tell them about. You're going to tell them about his excellencies. It means mighty works, wonderful deeds. What are those wonderful deeds? What do we tell them? Here's what we tell them, right? Here's what he did. He had the power to call me out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love that phrase, marvelous light. The word marvelous is used in Matthew 21, 15, and here's what it means. Every time it used of Jesus, he was doing a miracle. He made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk. It was something supernatural. Do you know what we're telling people? Here's our message. It's just like last week. Ready? Last week was, you need to have your life changed if you want to be saved. Now, ready? This week, we're in missions month. You need to have your life continually changed because you are saved. That's missions. See, you have, you're the people, listen, you are the people that used to be in the darkness, but now you're in the light. You were the people that weren't God's people. Now you're God's people. 
You were the people who had no mercy. God had never forgiven you, he says. But now here's what you are. See, their identity was rooted deeply in the scriptures of the Old Testament. All the verses, all the explanations of their identity in verses 9 and 10 were, were in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Hosea. All of those names, all of those identities are rooted in God's people, Israel. And now he takes those and applies it to these people right here in their context. And he wants to tell them this. You know who you are? You belong to God. And that, friends, should make a difference every day in how you lived, how you live your lives. Because this is what he's done. Marvelous life. Like, he has done miraculous things in you. That is... Peter's equivalent to Mark 5, where, remember what Mark says? Jesus told the guy from Gadara that had the demons, go and tell everybody what? What great things the Lord has done to you for you. That's this verse, Christian in 1 Peter style. You know what Jesus, here's what he says, you go and proclaim the excellencies. Go and proclaim how God's mighty works took you out of darkness took you out of the devil's family, took you out of not having any knowledge of his forgiveness and changed it all. I am a big proponent and I'm deeply committed to this truth. Change lives, change lives. Changed lives, change lives. And so at the end of his verse, verse 12, here's what he says. If you live a changed life in front of people and use that as a platform to tell them about how God has changed you and what his mercy has done for you, here's what, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. When Jesus comes back, that's what the term means, when he comes to bring salvation and judgment, see, these people, because they knew you and saw you and the life that you lived and how different you were and the message that you showed them, see, they will glorify God. They're going to stand next to you before God and they're going to say, I worship you, Jesus, because I saw him, because I saw her. And the difference you made in their lives ultimately meant the difference that you made in mine Can I tell you that? That's missions. Missions is changed lives that change lives. Do you have that change? Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song a long time ago. What about the change? And he's trying to be a little humorous because the song starts off Well, I got my T-shirt that says what I believe. I got letters on my bracelet to serve as my ID. I got the necklace and the keychain, everything a good Christian needs. Then he goes in the next verse. I got the Bible magnets on my refrigerator door, the welcome mat to bless you before you walk across my floor. I got the Jesus bumper sticker and the fish outline on my car. All this stuff is well and good, but I got to ask myself, he says, what about the change? What about the difference? What about a life that's showing I'm undergoing a change? That's where missions has to start in us, people. The change. 
Do your family that don't know Jesus, do they see the change in you? Do they see the change in you at your job? Do your neighbors see the change? Because I can tell you this, in a postmodern world, they will want to see the change before they want to hear about the change. They don't want to know anything about what God can do in their lives until they figure out whether he's done anything in yours. That's the day in which we live. Peter says that's where missions starts. Being who we are. And as we embrace our identity in Jesus, see, then we become and we, what we do changes lives. What about the change? Let's pray. Missions in Babylon, it's not easy. Trying to be who you are, where you are. As, as, as Mike was singing today, not an easy road, is it? But it's the road that we have if we're following Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, are there some of God's people here this morning who would say, Pastor Walker... I need to show more of the change. I don't think I have the platform that I might, could have, or perhaps should have, because my life doesn't reflect it. If we're honest, sometimes we're afraid to say anything because people might not even have figured out that we're Christians yet. And kind of like Simba, we've run from our identity and we want to hide it. We want to think it's some private religious thing Whereas Peter says it's anything but that. But see, you can't have the activity unless you have the identity first. Would there be some of God's people here this morning who would say, Pastor Walker, I want to live on mission. That doesn't mean as good as it is, I want to just give money this month. See, I want to live this identity. I want to live in it, and I want to live out it. It's not true to the extent that it should be in my life this morning as God's people, but I want it to be. With everyone, heads bowed, and eyes, we just say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand as a child of God. I know who I am, but I'm not living it. And therefore, I'm not really engaged in missional activity like I should be, but I want to have a life that shows I'm undergoing the change. Would you pray for me? Thank you for your hand. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you on my left. In the balcony, thank you. Anyone else? Father, you've seen all the hands, and I pray for each and every one of them. Father, the message is change lives. And we can't just talk about it. We have to walk it. We have to show it and demonstrate it in our money and our time and our priority and what matters to us and what keeps us up at night and what gets us up early in the morning and how we use our money and our time and how we show love and kindness and mercy and forgiveness. Oh, Father. I think too often as Christians, we've lost our platform because we don't live lives that demonstrate the change that we preach to others. Help us. Have mercy on us, O Lord. And through your word and spirit, would you change us? 
change us as we seek to live on this mission to proclaim the excellencies, the mighty works that you've called us out of darkness into light, Father, that we might not only give that message, but live that message for your glory and for the good of others. We ask in Christ's name, amen.